if you have your Bible, go ahead and turn to Second Peter. And uh, we will still be in Second Peter uh, chapter 1, finishing up that chapter today as part of our series going through uh, the book of Second Peter. And we've entitled this series Grow because everything that, that we're going to see here in Second Peter that we've talked about though then to come is in somehow a way where we're going to mature in our walk, mature in our worship and just how we see the world, both as a gathering or a church or as individuals. And so as Peter here, he's, he's wrapping up his introduction and, and basically first um, arguments, if you will, first points. Uh, and then after today, we get in really to the meat of what he's talking about. And, and really, we see that what was happening in the church at this time was causing Peter to write this was there was people coming in, they were teaching false doctrine, they were, they were teaching these heresies among the church about how you're supposed to live as a Christian and what that should look like. And so Peter's addressing these, and, and really, if we take the layers down, the main point, what they're saying is, this is too good to be true. That there's no way that what is being taught here is free. That it's really too good to be true. And we see that a lot in our society is because nothing's free. Free stuff has its string attached. There's always fine print. And, and so what Peter's really addressing here is the fact that we all date or doubt statements that seem to be too good to be true. But, but Peter reveals here today where we are, that the gospel is trustworthy. It's not too good to be true. So we're, we're going to start in Second Peter 1, 16, and we're going to go through verse 21. If you'll read those with me, then we'll, we'll start unpacking what Peter has for us. So in verse 16, it says, For we do not follow cleverly devised myths, when we made known to you the power and coming of our Lord Jesus Christ, but we were eyewitnesses of his majesty. For when he received honor and glory from God the Father, and the voice was born to him by majestic glory, this is my beloved Son, with whom I'm well pleased. We ourselves heard this very voice, voice born from heaven, for we were with him on the holy mountain. Verse 19, he continues, says, And we have something more sure, the prophetic word, to which you will do well to pay attention as a lamp shining in a dark place until the day dawns and the morning star rises in your hearts, knowing this first of all, that no prophecy of Scripture comes from someone's own interpretation. For no prophecy was ever produced by the will of man, but men smoke, spoke from God as they carried along by the Holy Spirit. If y'all would pray with me real quick, we'll ask the Spirit to guide us through this. Father God, I just thank you that we can open your word Words that were written so long ago, yet so applicable to our lives now. God, I just pray that today that your spirit would reveal truth to us, that we would then be able to apply that to our lives so that it's your truth changing us, not our thoughts or our actions, but it's your truth, it's your spirit 
God, I just thank you that we can meet with you and be taught by you. It's in Jesus' name I pray, amen. So when we see, again, that, that this idea, what, what Peter's been telling, remember, in, in the very first, verse 2, he's talking about everything comes in the knowledge of Jesus Christ, our Lord and Savior. So everything that he's building on, then the working out, the list that we have in verses um, 5, 6, and 7, that, that list is all about this practical outworking of how the truth affects your life. And so now we see that, then again, Peter's reminding that this is true. He's saying this isn't just some cleverly devised, this isn't some random thing that we created. We were witnesses of it. And so he's really addressing how you can trust this. Because we've been so marketed in our culture, you don't trust anything at face value. There's, you, don't, you don't come to something and just say, I know everything they're going to do is going to be true, and it's not going to be selfish, and it's just going to be good. Right? You don't do that. People are suckers that do that, right? And so that's what Peter's saying to these people is, wait a second. You can trust this, and here's why. And this is the final thing that he's doing as he's building up into what's going to be next. So the first way he says that, no, the gospel, what I've taught you is trustworthy, this big story is trustworthy, as he points out the fact that he was an eyewitness. You see that in verse 16. For we do not follow cleverly devised myths when we made known to you what the power and coming of our Lord Jesus Christ, but we were eyewitnesses of his majesty. He didn't hear about this just from someone else. He's saying here, no, we don't follow these myths or these devised schemes, fables, almost, is what you get from this. But no, we witnessed it personally. He's reassuring us that the story that was told originally to this audience and now to us is the gospel, and it's not something made up. He witnessed it. He witnessed it. And so then he tells them, okay, so here's what I witnessed. Now, we, we, didn't, we don't follow this cleverly devised thing. We just create this, but we witnessed it. And then he, the next two verses, he tells us what he witnessed. So in verse 17, for when he received honor and glory, he being Jesus, Honor and glory from God the Father, and the voice was born to him by majestic glory. Meaning it just, there wasn't a person speaking this. It was just a voice, an audible voice that said, this is my beloved son with whom I'm well pleased. And then he says, we ourselves heard that voice born from heaven. Born from heaven. It's just, it was just this voice. For we were with him on that holy mountain. And so if we look at that, we're like, okay, that, that language very similar is very similar to the transfiguration. So we don't flip a lot, but if you will, turn to Matthew 17 real quick. Or if you're on your phone, you can swipe to Matthew 17. You'll probably beat us there. Okay, Matthew 17 is probably the closest language that we get with transfiguration um, that, that Peter here is talking about. It's Matthew 17. It's the very first part of Matthew 17. And I want to spend some time here because one thing that that I'll always be honest with is that everyone here is constantly learning. That's the point of our growth. And, And 
me. I grew up in church. I had uh, parents that took me to church, and I've always heard about the transfiguration, but literally about a week ago, that was, was that a, a thing, and then heard someone speak on this, and it just changed the way that I looked at this. So I want to spend some time on this because I want to give you what I was given because it just completely changes your mind on what's happening here what Peter's referencing on the transfiguration and, and what's happening. So Matthew 17, we'll read those just real quick, the story of transfiguration. It's verses 1 through 8. And then I just want to point something out that just it completely shifted the way I saw this. So in Matthew 17, verse 1, it says, And after six days Jesus took with him Peter, James, and John, his brother, and led them up a high mountain by themselves. If you know a little background, those three were always kind of the, the chosen three there was the 12 apostles, and then those three were often the ones that Jesus took on the side. They were the closest to him. So he takes them up to a high mountain by themselves, and he was transfigured before them, and his face shone like the sun, and his clothes became white as light. So all of a sudden, he, he changes. What we see here happening is really he's changing to what post-resurrection Jesus looked like. He wasn't, they're, they're seeing more of who he was as far as God in, in that state. And then verse 3, And behold, there appeared to them Moses and Elijah taking with him. And Peter said to Jesus, Lord, is it, good, it is good that we are here. If you wish, I will make three tents here, one for you, one for Moses, one for Elijah. And he was still speaking when, behold, a bright cloud overshadowed them. And a voice from the cloud said, This is my beloved Son, with whom I'm well pleased. That same verse that Peter was talking about in Second Peter. With him I'm well pleased. Listen to him. And when the disciples heard this, they fell on their faces and were terrified. But Jesus came and touched them and says, rise and have no fear. And when they lifted their eyes, they saw no one but Jesus only. So we get this picture that Peter, James, and John were up on this mountain. They were going. Notice here it just says mountain. In Second Peter it says the holy mountain. The reason was is because God then showed up in a way that transferred. It wasn't just merely a mountain anymore. It was God's presence overshadowed Okay, you kind of see the same thing when Moses first sees the, the burning, but take off your sandals. You're on holy ground. God's presence changes what's around him. But you see this here, and he's transfigured. Jesus is, he's, he looks different. His face is like the sun. His clothes are white as light. And then Moses and Elijah appear. And, and growing up, I was like, okay, that's cool. Two of the more popular Old Testament people. Everyone talks about Moses and Elijah. Okay, that's great. Okay. But then when you add in what God speaks, God the Father speaks, says, this is my beloved son with whom I'm well pleased. Listen to him. What you see here is Moses and Elijah both represent something in the Old Testament, both pointing to who Jesus is. Moses represents the law. He's the one that brought the law down. So he represents the law, everything that we were supposed to do that we couldn't do that Jesus did. So here we see Jesus shining White as light, he's separated. Moses is here, testifying to who Jesus is. He's fulfilled the law. He's done what you couldn't do. But you also have Elijah, and Elijah represents the prophets, all the prophets that spoke for God. So when you see, this isn't merely a random thing. What you literally have here at the transfiguration is the law and the prophets testifying to who Jesus is. Everything from the Old Testament testifying who Jesus is. And that God sums it up, and this is my beloved son with whom I'm well pleased. Listen to him. So when Peter's referencing this, 
He's saying, literally, back in 2 Peter, we, I heard this. I was there. I was there when Jesus became like the sun and his clothes were white. I saw that. And that's a huge thing that we have because we always want to doubt this truth of the gospel. And what we see here in the transfiguration, what Peter's using as his evidence for an eyewitness was the fact that the law and the prophets testified to who he was. This isn't something we've made up. But then you might ask yourself, if you you listen, if you have anything, um, if you ever listen to court cases and all that, there's a problem with this. Okay, he's an eyewitness. Well, everything now says don't believe eyewitnesses. The, the science among people say you shouldn't listen to eyewitness testimony because most of the time it's wrong. So, so that, that when, we're, when we're looking at this, that puts a problem here. Okay, we didn't follow cleverly devised myths, but we were eyewitnesses. Well, everything we have today says, well, you shouldn't trust him then. Eyewitnesses aren't trusting. So when you Google that and you get all these crazy, I don't know what we did before Google, but we didn't have near enough random information, I guess. But when you Google eyewitness testimony or problems with eyewitness testimony, the, there's two things that stick out that, that cause it to be incorrect. One is prior knowledge, and two is expectations as to what's going to happen. So if, if an eyewitness has a prior knowledge, even to the area, that's going to that's gonna change how they filter what happened. So it's going to make it unreliable. Or if they expect a situation, you might be walking in, again, example, when I was in Berlin, um, I went and my sister collects the Hard Rock Cafe little magnet guitar things. And I was a good brother for once and thought, how many times are you in Berlin? So I went and took the subway, which was kind of weird because I was by myself and it was like an hour ride. Well, there's one of the, the subways, the way theirs works is they have the ones on the ground and they have the underground true what subway. And they all work. And there was this one place where it was three levels of trains all coming to this one main station. And so I'm there. It's kind, of, it's kind of in the evening, so it's getting dark. And the train I had to switch to was on the very bottom level. So all of a sudden, you're in this movie. Bad scenes in movies happen in this exact... You could see it. Like, the light's kind of low, plus everything's in German. And I'm like, the only... Literally, I'm down there, and I'm standing, waiting on this train. They have good... They're always on time, but they have countdowns. So it's like eight minutes. So I'm like, for eight minutes, I'm just standing there. And I'm like, my expectations of something positive to happen wasn't there. If anything was going to happen, it was going to be negative. And that's what they say causes eyewitnesses to be wrong. If you're in this, where, where crimes usually don't happen out in the bright, comfortable area, right? So if you're in this area, you're already, you're, you're sensitive to what's happening. You're maybe uncomfortable. And so that's going to cause you to sway what happened. When you see something happen, it's going to cause... But those are the, the reasons we now say eyewitness testimony is not good. But Peter had neither of those. He didn't know what was going to happen on the mountain. Jesus said, come over here, and he did. So there's no prior knowledge of what's going to happen. He hadn't seen Jesus' clothes turn white before. He hadn't heard a voice like that. Unless he was present somehow at the, when Jesus was baptized. And, and he for sure, there was no expectation. He was with Jesus, he was with his friend. There was no negative thing. He wasn't going to interpret anything. So we can rely on his, even though we say now that that eyewitness where the the reasons that eyewitnesses aren't considered true, 
Peter had neither of those reasons to be there. He wasn't uncomfortable. He was probably in the most comfortable place. You see that in Matthew when he wants to stay there. Hey, let's build a tent. I can build three of them for you. Okay? So, so we can rely on that. And so what, what Peter's saying is we were witnesses there. And the way we need to ask ourselves about the gospel is where is it too good to be true for us? Is it that it's free and so you think you've got to do something to get it? That just doesn't feel right. Or is it, it, so where is it too good to be true? And Peter's saying, no, this isn't a cleverly devised myth. This is literally something that I witnessed. And this is how I witnessed it. It's the truth. So it's free for you to grow into. It's free for you to rely on because it's truth. And the second way we can understand this is that it points to resolution. And really, most, it's not really worth following something if there's not a resolution, right? If there's not an ending, it's like, okay, I'm just going to wander around aimlessly. So that next section, verse 19, it says, And we have this perfected word more fully confirmed, to which you will do well to pay attention to, as a lamp shining in a dark place until the day dawns and the morning star rises in your hearts. Okay, so, so what we see there is that there's, there's resolution until that day dawns and the morning star rises in your hearts. And there's, there's several references here that we need to take note of that both that are all similar to this. In Psalms 119, 105, it says, Your word's a lamp to my feet and a light unto my path. So it's a lamp shining in a dark place. In John 5, we see that he was burning and sh- he's a burning and shining lamp. And you were re- willing to rejoice for a while in his light. In Revelation 2, 28 says, and I will give him the morning star. And then later, Revelation 22, the end of Scripture says, I, Jesus, is Jesus speaking, have sent my angel to testify to you about these things for the churches. I am the root and the descendant of David, the bright morning star. And so what we see here is this language, is this, it's this completion. You can see this two ways. One, until that day dawn and the morning star rises in your hearts, that, that can be speaking of literally our salvation because we're separated from God. Our hearts are this dark place with nothing in it. And so when we hear the gospel and we're changed by the Spirit, then literally that's that light coming into your heart. It's the light in the dark place. But also we see this, and this is more likely what Peter's talking about here later when we get into what the people were teaching that was wrong, is this, this is the end. This is when Christ will return until the day dawns and the morning star rises. And you can see that, that here, this language, when Peter's talking about a lamp shining in a dark place, it's not just dark, no light. It's like a gloomy place. It's kind of eerie. And, and that's, that's what the world we live in. You know, there's pockets where the gospel is going. But the world is sinful. The world is sinful. And so we wait until Jesus returns again. Because when he returns again, he establishes kingdom. He, we have the judgment. And then he fills the earth. It's his glory. The son is no longer needed because we have the son. His light shines everywhere. And that morning star will rise when he comes again. So there's this resolution. It does end. We know the ending. We can rely on this truth because it's going somewhere. 
It's not just this abstract thing that will continue to go. And see, that's what, when we get into the rest of the book, they're saying that Christ isn't going to come back. That's the heresy they're saying. One of the things is, he hadn't come back yet, so he's not going to. And that's a lot of what people say now. It's been 2,000 years, why didn't he come back? That's not us to not to talk about. The fact is, we're told that he will return. We have the completion. So it's a truth that we can rely on. And, and, and the way we can see this, and the way I always think about it, is right now, is we still have spotlights up here. Then when Will was up here, it was a lot brighter up here, wasn't it? Okay. And, and now that we have the other lights on, you kind of see that it fades in and out. And so a lot of times we think we can't see the light working because it's surrounded by everything else. Really, light only works if it's surrounded by darkness. And that's what the gospel does right now is it, it goes into the dark, gloomy places and it brings light. And eventually, as resolution happens, when he returns, it will complete that. You, you see that one day he will return. And when you look at that, there's, that's why you can rely on the truth. It's because it doesn't tell you just to go live this life and it might work out for you. It says, no, live this way because one day he will return. He will return so we can do that. And then the final thing is probably the most comforting to me is the fact that it's not man-made. I see that in verse 20. Knowing this, first of all, that no prophecy of Scripture comes from someone else's own inter- interpretation. For no prophecy was ever produced by the will of man, but men spoke from God as, they'd been carried, as they were carried along by the Holy Spirit. So what we can see with that is anything we have in Scripture, it wasn't created by man. This isn't some, something produced by Peter or by Paul or all the, all the authors. Paul says it uh, this way in 2 Timothy, his letters to Timothy telling how to lead the church in 2 Timothy 3, 16, says, All Scripture is breathed out by God and is profitable for teaching, reproof, for correction, and training in righteousness, that the man of God may be complete, equipped for every work. And both of these are similar. But when you think about it, what Peter's talking about, that no prophecy of Scripture comes, and then Paul's talking about all Scripture is breathed out, they're, they're referencing the Old Testament. That's what they had. Peter wasn't writing this letter to the church thinking, hey, I'm writing the second letter of Peter that is going to be in the New Testament. There wasn't a New Testament. And so we have this fact that all Scripture, and now as these books have been included into our canon of Scripture, we realize that it was all done by the Spirit. Yes, men wrote it, physically wrote it. It wasn't their ideas. They were carried along by the Spirit was carried along by the Spirit. It had an original intended audience. This was a letter to certain people, but it's also to us. And that's why we can trust it because it wasn't just created by someone. It makes you think of that, that game where someone tells something and then you pass it along the room and at the end it's nothing the same, right? Have you all ever done that? That's like the youth group thing to do, I guess. I don't know. But it never ends up correct. I've never seen it where it's even close and, and so we don't have scripture that's that way. It's not this man-made thought. No, it's the spirit carrying it along. And so we have all these years of church history where this scripture has been passed down and passed along. And it's the truth that's going, but it's the same source. It's the same source. It's scripture that's been passed along and carried along by the Holy Spirit. And one, as they originally wrote it, but then as the church has used this, 
It's been constant. It's not our own interpretation. It's how the Spirit shows us this. So that's why we can rely on the truth. It's not too good to be true because it wasn't made by man. It wasn't just thought up. It's not this cleverly devised myth. It's not just this man-made prophecy. No, it's God using men as his tool to give us his story, to show us his love. That's why we can rely on it. That's why this is the last thing that Peter says then before now he's going into the next phase of this letter where he says, okay, here's why these people are wrong. Because that's not of the Spirit and this is. And so we see that it's not man-made is actually reassuring because it's of God. It's constant with Him. We're not the constant fact. He is. And that's why we can have confidence in this as we move forward, as we open Scripture. It's not just this randomly thing, which that's what society says. People that that argue about Christianity, they argue that it's just this made-up thing, that it's to comfort people, that religious people are really just seeking comfort. That's not what we have here. We have the fact that For 2,000 years since this was written, the church has stood on these truths. Why? Because it's the Spirit guiding us. That's not of us just deciding things. And you can see through history where it's been misused. So we have to be careful and not put our spin on what's happening. We don't want to turn it into the game where you tell someone something and then by the end it's completely different. We have to go back to this. Always draw ourselves back into this. And, and so really, the last thing that really brings this all together is, is to look at your life and ask yourself, where are you doubting it? And then why? Why are you doubting the gospel? Is it too good to be true because it's free? Then, then I ask you why, are you, why do you naturally just question that? Are you trying to put your ideas on something to where it fits your life? Because the gospel doesn't change to fit our lives. It changes us to fit its truth. That's what's so good about it. And and we see that, and that's why we can come together in a school, open his word, and understand that it changes us because it is from God. It's not from man. And it points to one Savior that lived the life we couldn't, completed, followed the law as we couldn't, And then chose to die to give us his righteousness so that we could be righteous. So that we could live with him. Second will, we're going to do another song, I guess, if you will. Um, And and really, as we have these songs at the end, typically they're response songs, but it's for you to respond to the gospel. It's not to respond necessarily to me or to what's happening, but respond to the Spirit as that. And if that's needing prayer, then yeah, I will pray with you. I'd love to do that. But it's, it's, a, it's one opportunity for us to come together to, to worship again, but respond as the Spirit. Because when we open this word, the Spirit moves through it. That's why it's the living word. It's because it's active. And we read it and we proclaim it and we study it. The Spirit moves through that to make our hearts lie. So if y'all pray with me. Father God, we thank you that while the gospel is such an amazing truth, 
we thank you that it's not too good to be true, but that it is because we didn't create it. That the people that wrote it didn't just think it up, but it was you giving them your truth, that they witnessed your son and they saw his life and then they were witnesses. They wrote this so that we could understand, but it was your spirit guiding them. God, I just pray that that we wouldn't decide to do it for ourselves, but that we'd allow your spirit to empower us to submit to your gospel and submit to you daily. And it's in your son's name I pray, amen.
Uh, just to remind you that we are meeting every week now, so we'll be back here next week. And then there's still coffee and donuts, and I for sure don't need to eat the rest of the donuts. So get one on your way out. And then just like every week through this, we'll leave you with the, the final verses of Second Peter. But grow in the grace and knowledge of our Lord and Savior Jesus Christ. To Him be the glory both today and to the day of eternity. Y'all are dismissed.